Hello and welcome back to Movies On My Mind. I'm Rosie and today I'm going to be talking about The Breakfast Club that came out in 1985, directed by John Hughes. So, it's been a while since I've actually done a podcast, sorry about that. This one's even pretty late as well. Oh well, this was a requested film. It was actually requested under the Film Bro series and it was requested because it's maybe a film that is a little bit overrated, people have watched it and they've been like, what is this about? I'm confused, why is it so hyped up? This is underrated, overrated, etc. So... I was not going to put it in the Film Bro series only because I don't really think this classes as a Film Bro film, but it is definitely a film that is quite famous and a lot of people know about and it's referenced a lot and you know when it's just overused, overused so much that you're like, what even is this film about? Well, I will tell you today because (laughs) I'm going to be talking about The Breakfast Club and I've seen this film countless countless times i went through a john hughes 1980s phase and i just watched loads of them and this was definitely one i watched and since i watched it then i watched it again and again so i kind of know this film pretty well so i wanted to put my take on it i do think that it's potentially a bit overrated and there's a few issues with it that i want to address but it's also definitely a film i go back to and i rewatch, and i can't understand why like I'm trying to rack my brains as to why this film for me is so rewatchable uh, because I have rewatched it a lot of times and I don't know it's a safe rewatch option I think I I don't know why and I'm trying to work that out which I might work out by the end of this episode so this is definitely a classic 80s film 100% and I have talked about John Hughes before. I don't think I've done any of his films before. I'll say this and I probably did. I don't think I did. Not yet anyway. And yeah, so he has a very distinct kind of style. A lot of his stuff is like teen. Yeah, there's a lot of questionable stuff going on too. But so yes, and what I did was, I'm trying to remember what I was going to say. Over on my Instagram, at Movies on My Mind Pod, I also have a TikTok under the same handle so if you want to follow those that would be great so you can also take part in like some polls i'm doing and i think i might do more of these depending on what movie i'm doing i basically the other day re-watched this film wrote my notes but then i was like okay so this film is about representation of different people is it necessarily successful in this representation of everybody mm, not really so i wanted to know what my followers on my instagram kind of felt that they were who they related to because for me I have two distinct characters out of the five of them that I always relate to and I don't know whether this is a universal experience or it's just me and I mean not loads of people voted I will say so I don't have like a massive kind of portion of research but everybody absolutely everyone who voted voted for the same two characters that I related to myself watching this film which I thought was fascinating because I mean they're not the characters that you're supposed to want to relate to but they seem to be the realest ones which again is that a problem you know anyway so let's just dive into what the film's about and I'll like talk about what I did with that poll. The film is really simple. It's a nice simple ensemble kind of film. Sometimes it's so simple that you're kind of a bit like, what am I watching? I'm a little bit bored. 
I will not lie to you, it is kind of like a really simple idea that is supposed to then be nuanced and complex, although the nuance and complex is arguably there or not there depending on who you are and how you relate to this film. So what happens is we have five kids, it's all set in a school and it's all mainly set in one room as well, so it's it's quite simple. We have the characters' names are Andrew, Claire, Brian, John and Alison, however, John being known as Bender, they represent different kind of high school stereotypes. Now, I don't know how qualified John Hughes was at the time to comment on high school stereotypes. He made a lot of high school movies and they all kind of revolve around these five stereotypes anyway, and especially in the 80s as well, so maybe these were more relatable back in the day, because I was not around, but for me now, I don't feel like these are inclusive enough categories to talk about kids in. Anyway, they are known as, so Andrew is like the sport guy, Claire is the princess, again, the princess one is an interesting one, I'm going to talk about that, Brian is the brain, so the nerd the geek, no one likes him. Bender or John is the criminal, so he's the guy who just messes around for no reason. And Alison is the basket case. I really like that description of her basket case. However, is she really a basket case? Not really. So those are the five categories. And I think when talking about kids in that way, in the high school system and how people are at that age, like 16 years old, I don't feel like those are good enough categories to put people in, I think. I don't know, maybe it's an American thing? I don't know. But for someone who is not American, they kind of feel a little bit alienating for me watching the film. I first watched this film in, oh, what year was it? Like, 2016? Yeah, I watched the film, like, there. Like, current day, basically. I did not experience these categories when I was at school. So what happens in the film, sorry, <laughs> I don't know where I went there, is, sorry, my voice is a little bit bad this morning because I decided that I was going to record it this morning and not last night, which last night would probably have sounded better. But anyway, yeah, so what happens is we have these five kids who have been brought into, like, a Saturday detention kind of thing. I've never heard of this thing, but it sounds pretty illegal. It's where you basically hold these kids hostage for a whole day on a Saturday, nine till three, or something like ridiculous like that. And they just have to sit there for the whole day and do nothing. And, and, And the principal guy who is a real dickhead, he basically is bullying slash almost abusing these children. And, you know, they have to write this essay to explain who they are and why they think they're in this detention. And they're all in there for different reasons. However, it takes the whole, the film's like a nice kind of length of an hour and a half, but it does take the whole film for us to realise why each kid is in the detention. And my favourite bit, there is actually a scene at the end when they're all like in a circle and they're all kind of giving their monologues as to why, you know, they're in the detention in the first place. And that is when we kind of see these stereotypes break down. However, I did probably want those stereotypes to break down even more because at the end, we still see them as who they are. It's 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 a strange one. It's giving Shakespeare because by the end, <laughs> we do have people ending up with each other, which I don't think is appropriate for this. I thought that this film is not a romance film. Why did he try and cross that genre? Why did he try and put that genre in? Like, it makes no sense. Like, basically what happens is everyone's, like, sitting in a circle, like, talking about who they are, and the next minute, they're all, like, kissing and cuddling at the end, and I'm like, 
Uh, guys, what? What happened in the space of 10 minutes when you walked out the door? It, it's, it's bizarre. You've literally known these people for a, a, a literal day. Less than a day. <laughs> what is going on? But anyway, that is one of the more questionable things that happened in the film. But an interesting addition to this subject. But yeah, now my favourite bit is them, you know, talking about who they are. And what we see is the characters realise that, you know, the characters are treating themselves and also each other as their stereotypes and not as actual people. So by the end of the film, we kind of see them see each other as actual real-life people and not their stereotypes, which, again, is extremely shallow and just shows that maybe kids are more likely to play into these um, stereotypes. It's like, who make This, again, a question I have is, who makes these stereotypes... Who makes these kids the way they are? Is it themselves, the actual kids, or is it their parents? Is it their teachers? Is it the people around them? You know, who knows? Uh, I think that's definitely a question that's raised to the film, but not answered at all. Just an interesting question. And some parts of this film are, like, the dialogue, I don't know what happened, was maybe some scenes got cut or something because it's quite a short film, but some of the dialogue feels really choppy and, like, random but at the same time is that those kids talking to their stereotypes and not real people so therefore the dialogue can only remain shallow and not anything more i don't know it's up to interpretation take it how you will but the yeah a lot of people have an issue with the script because it does sometimes feel like things are missed out or things happen really quickly for no reason interesting but i took that as maybe the kids talking to each other as their stereotypes and then being angry at themselves for boxing themselves in but also boxing someone else in i I don't know (laughs) this reminds me of i don't know why in this podcast i'm giving people random i'm giving everyone on the internet i don't know who's listening but like random anecdotes from my life and i'm not even that old but like that sounds so pick me anyway that just reminded me of this performance i did called little boxes and if you're listening and you were in little boxes then cool uh, i remember that we like pretended to be robots with boxes and then each one of us had like a monologue that showed us being a real person and not being put in a box and we wore masks it, it was very weird but i remember doing that and that performance is literally the breakfast club if the movie had a theatrical version because yeah we were just these random kind of shapes um and we were passing this box like a conveyor belt and then each one of us had this chance to speak of who we were inside uh and in like a monologue to an audience okay let me let me just get started on the actual goddamn film anyway what have i got here so at the beginning there is like a david bowie quote which i mean is pretty edgy and cool down with the kids and it says and these children that you spit on as they try to change their worlds are immune to your consultations they're quite aware by what they're going through i think it's from the song i have listened to david bowie don't worry i know he is um but i don't know that song if that's the song i i actually probably need to look that up that would be a good idea let me just for one second okay yeah i thought so i thought it was from that song Okay, it's from Changes by David Bowie. So I know that song, don't worry guys. I'm not a crazy freak. I know the song and yeah, that makes sense. 
However, I still feel like that quote is kind of irrelevant to the whole goddamn film, but sorry. Uh, so that quote is then, and there's like a breakthrough glass transition into the school, which is pretty crazy. It's like barriers are going to be crossed in this film. Are they? Um, not entirely. Not entirely. Um, almost. One thing I think is fascinating about this film is actually how each one of the kids, their reasoning for actually being there in the first place. Sorry, I'm going to spoil this film. If you didn't already know, I'd spoil everything on this podcast. So you've been warned. It's just something I do. I'm really good at it. I love the reasons why each one of them, they kind of seem ridiculous reasons but they are also kind of believable. The reasons we have is Andrew's reason. He, like, attack. He basically attacked us all as a kid. Like, I don't think you can be forgiven for... I mean, it's pretty severe. You know, he, like, jumped on this kid and, like, he taped his, like, um, butt cheeks together or something. That's what I got from it. I don't think that's okay. I think you should be expelled for that. If if I was running that school, that's that's just a crime. Anyway, Claire apparently went shopping instead of going to school, which again, I don't really get, but okay, it's believable for our character. Brian's is probably the most believable, although it's the most severe. Actually, to be fair, well, anyway. <laughs> Um, so Brian was under so much pressure to get like his grade point average that he took up a extra class and he basically failed this class and him failing that would then drop his entire out of everything he's done down lower and he couldn't deal with that so he was gonna actually kill himself so he he got a gun from someone he found oh no it was like a flare gun so was an almost and he tried yeah he was going to kill himself but uh they found the lo- the gun in his locker because it went off that is probably the th- one of the most believable ones but also the m- most tragic one as well bender or he i don't remember what he actually did that sounds so bad but i actually don't remember i think he just was himself really he's just himself because he's also picked on by the teacher there's like the principal guy and he's picked on by him which is low-key problematic actually high-key problematic because the the principal takes it upon himself to actually reflect his anger on the world out onto bender's character because he is a kid who has uh you know a bad home life who's acting out because he's ignored at home and he has a lot of issues that he needs to work through but instead of you know being in a safe environment he has to come to school with them and he just acts out all the time just does a lot of stuff he shouldn't do i actually don't know what he did so i'm sorry (laughs) he was just himself i I don't know and then allison's one is really interesting as well she doesn't even say why she said i had nothing better to do but i don't believe that was true i think she's trying to get them to like her is she i don't know i think there might have been a reason why she says that she's a compulsive liar she does lie which is fair enough you know these people are strangers so you could tell them anything but yeah she says i had nothing better to do which kind of makes out that she's so lonely and has no friends and is it's it's bizarre but anyway those are apparently the reasons why each of them were in the detention in the first place and had this whole experience so actually i'm now just going to talk about each character and how i feel about them 
I don't know why I've decided to do this now, but I am going to do this now. I've not really planned this episode. I never plan any of them. It's, if you want to know the production of these podcasts, they are totally improvised. So that will make you feel worse about yourself because that means that I've not planned that. I do edit them, but they're not planned. It's all spontaneous. Anyway, let me just go through each of the characters and I'll just kind of talk about their stereotype, how they match it, what I, if it's a problem, if it's not etc. Also, good to note, by the end of it are Bender and Claire, so the princess and the criminal, and then also the athlete, so Andrew and Alison, the basket case. Okay, now to be honest with you, the guys and the girls had limited options. There are three guys, two girls. Uh, representation at its finest. It's very 80s America, if you wanted to put it like that. I think if we made The Breakfast Club now, it would be very different. Very different. Okay, so let's go down the characters. Um, Who will we start with? Okay, let's talk with my favourites. Yeah, okay. So basically what I did on my Instagram is I put a poll out because I was interested. People who've seen the film who they relate to themselves when they watch it because again I think this is what this film should be about it's about stereotypes and it's about finding characters that you relate to and that it's it's about the realistic school experience you know none of these characters are happy you know they're in the library which is like full of knowledge and none of them want to learn because they're so pent up with their own issues so how can you expect them to do that which you know that's why the library is the kind of big setting because it's all about knowledge and you know these kids are learning things about each other throughout the film (laughs) you know they're learning things about each other and they're not learning in the typical sense but it's still a um kind of growth experience so anyway let's start with yeah my favorite so when i personally watch this film and i've watched it a few a few times the people who I always gravitate towards and I relate to are actually the basket case, Alison and Brian, um, the brain, so the nerd guy, which is really interesting because these are the two characters that are supposed to be the kind of minority characters, the ones that no one likes or the ones that people don't see and the people, the ones that people ignore. Does that make me a sad, um, lonely, no friend human being? Absolutely not. It's just I found those two characters to be the most interesting and compelling. Funnily enough, when I actually did the poll, the people, all, all of them voted for either the brain or the basket case. That was what people gravitated towards. And I found this incredibly comforting because I was like, is it an an unpopular opinion to relate to those characters the most? Because I feel like we're not supposed to. You know, the characters that everyone wants to be are supposed to be the ones we're supposed to relate to. They're not because they don't feel realistic enough. And in some ways, I don't think their characters are likeable in any they're not likeable enough i think that anthony michael hall who plays brian does a really good job and in all of the posters so i'm looking at a poster of it now he is kind of sat in the middle of everyone so he is the middle of it and i think the real tragedy of this film is him because by the end of the film All of the others are partnered up. They all have each other and he is still alone. You know, he's the one who wanted to kill himself, you know, because he's putting himself under pressure. He has no friends. 
well, you know, we don't really know he has any friends. He doesn't talk about any social connections. He's so busy, you know, living up to other people's standards that he has no time for himself and he values himself so poorly. But by the end, he's still the one who's fifth wheeling, you know? And it's it's that feeling of everyone else around you kind of has each other and you don't have anyone. And I think that that is relatable but also incredibly compelling. And I think that he does a really good job in that role. I think he's perfect for that role because his character is is just himself. Like, that's what I really like about it. I think there's been a, there was a great attention to detail in terms of the characters really being kids. One thing I, it's kind of overdone in some scenes, I will say, but one thing I do love is they all kind of have their own like tics and like things that they do when they're uncomfortable. Like the body language is really made attention to because that really makes them human and real and more like kids. Because when you're younger, you kind of, your attention span is a bit shorter. Maybe, you know, you, you, know, you don't want to be somewhere. So you're going to act out. I think that that is kind of a, you know, a big thing that they paid attention to. However, I think in some scenes it's, it's, it's overdone and it's kind of cringy, but, you know, don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> so, yeah. And then, obviously, I did Edward Scissorhands. I talked about that, like, a, in a few months ago. And Anthony Michael Hall is actually in that film, but I really grated his performance in that. So, sorry. But you're great in The Breakfast Club. You really are. Perfect. Okay, so that is brian i think his character is probably the most compelling out of everybody and then i wanted to talk about allison so the basket case so allison is the most interesting character because we don't actually know anything about her you know she doesn't let anything out well not fully not like the others the others we can kind of see them and suss them out based on stereotype but allison doesn't really adhere to any of it which you know, it is good, but the same thing with her character is that she still desires to be in this kind of clique and be a normal kid, but at the same time, she's kind of rebelling against everything. So she has this really long fringe and this kind of, like, shaggy bob cuts. I don't really know what you call it. You can't even see her eyes, you know, it's pretty crazy so it that just shows that she's a character that's not letting anyone in she wears black all the time so you know she's either trying to stand out but also trying to um, blend in incredibly well and she lies so when they're doing their whole monologue scene she lies to um molly ringwald's princess character about being a virgin and she just completely lies to her to get her to then admit that she is actually a virgin. I don't like that part of the film because I feel like it's just unnecessary and kind of weird but again that shows a lot about her character so you know she is good at kind of playing parts if that makes sense and I think everyone can relate to that. You know in our lives we kind of give ourselves parts to play and different people to be for different people etc things like that and Alison is really good at that she takes on many characteristics and you can never quite nail down who she really is so she's a little bit of an enigma which I mean would you want yeah of course you want to be an enigma and yeah but then they kind of give her a makeover at the end so it kind of makes her seem more desirable and I think you don't need to do that I think she's still a compelling character without with her fringe I think the fringe taking away was more of a look and see me 
see me and notice me. But the thing was, her character never wanted that. It makes it out like her character wanted to be noticed by boys. It's it's so strange. You know, we have the princess and the basket case are the only female characters as well. So when John Hughes was talking about girls and boys, he put girls into two literal categories. You're either insane or everyone loves you. There's no in-between, apparently. You're either insane or... Um, you know, or you, boys don't sexualise you or boys do sexualise you. So it's kind of a bit unfair to put girls into two categories like that. But he does anyway. And by the end, it's like, oh, you can be pretty too. It's all good. Just look after yourself. <laughs> so I don't quite agree with that there. But again, Alison's one of my favourite characters. I think that she's very compelling and the more you watch it the more you can take from her character I think she's more of a blank slate kind of thing you can kind of project whatever you want onto her and it would work that's how much she doesn't give away about herself and then you can also go is she playing into a role here or is she actually being herself and you don't know you can't tell the difference whereas the others are painfully themselves Anthony Michael Hall's kind of brain character who he just wants validation from people and he wants people to talk to and he wants connection and, you know, he desires that kind of part of himself but, you know, he doesn't have time for it. And then you have Molly Ringwald's princess character who, again, is after this validation, is painfully herself because she's trying to uphold this image but she can't because that's impossible. But it's not her fault that this image has you know, being projected onto her, everyone thinks it's her fault that she's portraying herself this way, when it's not her fault at all. Other people have done that to her. And then, obviously, Andrew's sport character, again, he's kind of... He wears blue, which I think perfectly encapsulates his whole thing. This kind of moral high ground, this sport guy, this, like, you know, gotta do it for the team kind of guy. Again is just unhappy with his life and you can see that with all of them and then obviously the criminal has so many issues <laughs> so many issues does he have uh, so many and he's projecting every single one onto everybody else it's a horrible dynamic but yes they are all painfully themselves and you can see right through them but Alison is the one you can't and I like that okay so we'll move on to the rest of them again talking about Claire She's my least favourite character. I don't like Claire. I don't relate to Claire at all. Why? Because her character, to me, makes no sense. That's not a bad thing. I just... I don't know. She doesn't feel very relatable to me. The whole thing of I was shopping when I should have been at school. Like, how realistic is that? And this whole sexualization of her feels pointless to me. I'm like, why are you doing this to her? You know, you're making her... They make her out to be something, they call her a tease, which I really hate them calling her that, but they call her a tease. How on earth is Claire a tease? I do not understand. You know, she's just a kid, okay? Calm it down. She's just a child, okay? No, we don't need to go further than this. But they do, they, they really grind, they really like fixate on her and... I don't know, they make her feel accountable for being a tease. Like, what? She's a, she's a child. What, what does that mean? I'm very confused here. And she's assaulted and harassed. Like, what? 
And I understand now why Alison comes to school dressed the way she does. <laughs> because, you know, Claire is constantly harassed. Who wants that? You know, Bender constantly harasses her. And the awful thing about it is by the end of it, you know, they actually end up together. So what what message is that sending out? Like, I just, it's disgusting to me. I don't like it. And I mean, if you like that dynamic between two people, then okay. But it's just the constant harassment and then the assaulting and shit that I don't agree with. And they literally make it out, the boys make it out to be Claire's fault for all this to happen. Now, if anyone's coming out, they're all flipping messed up. But I think if anyone's coming out gaslit the most of that day, it's Claire. They gaslight her like no tomorrow. I'm very, I'm always very confused by that. And I feel very sorry for her because she's seen as a piece of meat, if that makes sense. She's an object to be had, uh, to be with. I don't believe there are any issues in her life. The only thing is, is obviously she is like comes from a wealthier household than the others do. And they really, especially Bender, who doesn't, d definitely comes from a different world than hers constantly like shuts her down for it and at the same time I'm like but is that her fault you know stop kind of at the end of the day you're like kids so you know why do you need to punish her for that would you rather her leave home and live on the streets I'm confused like she can't choose her life the same way again if you've got any other thoughts about this then let me know but I that's my thoughts on it I don't know whether that is a shallow depiction of everything, but that has always been my impression. Okay, and then we have Andrew, played by Emilio Estevez. Now, he, again, is an interesting character. I think that he's too, there's not enough to him. I think they could have gone further. I really liked his monologue when they all sit around in the circle and the camera kind of follows him and then just as he gets to the point of being the most vulnerable, it hits like a pillar. So we don't necessarily see his entire vulnerability, but it also shows him admitting this remorse for what he's done, which is great to see, like that is good. But what he did was pretty insane. Like who in what mind? And apparently he did it because he can't think for himself and he did it for his dad. So, I mean, I get that. I mean, you know, he's incredibly impressionable. And again, this playing of roles, he was he was going to be there and he was going to be that, that hero for his dad, but in, in the most awful way. I feel like if he had more depth and I don't know if his motives were a little bit different then I think he could be a more likeable character. Now I don't like that he ends up with Alison because for me that just feels weird. He never paid attention to her at all, none of the boys do, they just pay attention to Claire. Really strange, I don't know why they need to do that but they did. Anyway, they just pay attention to Claire, they don't notice Alison, they think she's very weird, no one talks to her, she's having a good time, why? Because no one's bothering her. <laughs> I mean, if you want to be anyone in that, that situation, you want to be Alison. But no one's bothering her, she's having a good time, and all of a sudden, they're like, let's give her a makeover. Gives her a makeover, and she's the most beautiful girl in the world, apparently. So, yeah, and then they, oh, it's just bizarre, why did you need to do that? Like, 
what has that shown you about this topic? <laughs> it's shown you that if you go to detentions, then you could end up with someone. You're really good, apparently. It's like a dating pool of random people you never thought you'd ever speak to. But yeah, I think the whole metaphor of this film is kind of a bit like, you know, the detention room and the detention timing being for everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who you think you are. Um, you could all end up there. Is that kind of threatening in some ways? Yes. But also, is that all about kind of everyone being the same and going through the same struggles and connecting with people you wouldn't normally connect with? 100%. However, one discussion they have in the film is them going, oh, if I saw you in the hall, would you talk to me? And they're like, no. So does this film solve anything? No. So the only way you could be seen talking to these people in the hall as if you made them your girlfriend and your boyfriend. Apparently. Apparently that is the only way uh, you can achieve full equality. Again, I'm confused. You know, it it nearly got there. It really did. I just... Uh, yeah, I really loved how, you know, maybe even their dialogue does change when they get to the end, when they're getting more vulnerable with each other. But then all of a sudden it just ends too quickly. Maybe this film ends too quickly, I don't know. I wish that kind of like the start of it would be kind of more toxic and more kind of argumentative at the start so that we could definitely see like a really, and the atmosphere being a bit more tense because it didn't feel like it was tense. I think you have to really listen to the words and go, oh, okay, I could interpret that as a tense and toxic environment if I wanted to. But that maybe being more obvious could then you know, see it kind of die down and as they get more vulnerable, the dialogue pattern would change and, you know, then I think you've achieved some sort of resolution by the end. Also, it doesn't really give anything in terms of authority figures. The principal is a perfect, corrupt authority figure. Is he defeated at the end? Only indirectly. Um, is there any resolution to his behaviour or any justice that he receives? Not really. I don't know what the essay at the end is supposed to make the principal feel, but I don't think it would make a difference to their lives at all. Which is a shame. It does show that these authority figures can hold a lot of power and can potentially manipulate children and make them feel unsafe where they should feel safe. That is definitely a big problem, but is anything done to deal with it? No. The principal still remains the principal, and he is not the main point of the story. Is it kind of a peasant revolt kind of thing? You know, are these students supposed to rise up against their oppressors? Well, it doesn't, it doesn't suggest that either. So it's a difficult one. I think you could interpret that in whatever way you like. The one thing I like about it being vague, as well as vague as bad, vague can also be good because you can put your own meaning onto this film it doesn't matter who you relate to i think that when you watch it and you watch it again you hone into different points of the film and go oh that's important or oh that's not as important and you can do that because this the subject matter is so broad and so personal to everyone watching you can do that so i think that's maybe the point of the film but at the same time, should that be the point of the film? I don't know. So many questions. And yeah, I think they're supposed to be people we don't like at the start. So we're supposed to be annoyed with their characters at the start because they're playing into their stereotypes. So we're supposed to be annoyed at the stereotypes for them to be broken through. 
but are they broken through? We don't have any proof that they are. So it's very strange. And then obviously you have that the famous dancing scene. That is actually more poignant for me than the Pulp Fiction dancing scene. So don't come and get me because I do not like that film. <laughs> and I've made that known. But the dancing scene in this is far superior and feels way better in the film than the Pulp Fiction one. Yeah, we have some kind of like goofy scenes, things like that. Things get a bit out of hand. They're smoking weed at one point, doing some illegal stuff. Yeah, it's, it's quite ridiculous. And I think it's supposed to be because they're kids. But yeah, and then there's obviously the scene at the end where um, Bender is walking through the football pitch and he like puts his hand up in the air. And I think, again, you can interpret his hand punching in whichever way you want to. Bender's character, played by Judd Nelson, he is a kid that comes from a really bad household. He is abused and no one listens to him and he has no life and he's very... No, he's very sad inside. And all of this anger that is pent up inside of him, he then projects onto the world around him because, you know, he has nothing better to do. You know, he's very hurt, uh, very traumatised and that kind of makes up his whole persona of a character. He is a dickhead, and he's supposed to be an idiot. You were supposed to not like him. I think we are anyway, but like, he has this kind of air about him that he purposely irritates everyone around him for reactions, because that's all he's used to at home. And it's so, and so sad that the principal then takes it upon himself to use that, use his abused home life against him. The principal threatens him. He says that he's going to go into prison in five years, so he's manifesting a bad future for him. And then he threatens him and says he's going to come and beat him up one day. And why? Why is he going to do that? Because the principal is mad at Bender for being able to defy authority in that way. And he's defying authority because he feels so restricted at home. You know, and instead of being like, man, you need therapy, he's like, oh, I'm going to beat you up because I hate you, scum. I got to keep him down because it feels like he's revolting against the principal. Because part of Bender's character as the criminal, because that's who the principal sees him as, um, is himself. The principal is, you know, he's a dodgy man. I don't think he's, he's a clean slate man. He likes to terrorise children. And who likes to do that? especially when it's your job to protect them. So part of Bender's personality and criminal persona is the principle, which is why he gets so mad, because it's like a reflection of himself. I don't like how he gets with Claire at the end. I don't like that. But yeah, I think Judd Nelson uh, did a real good job. I think he's a very famous character. Everyone knows who he is. Uh, he has quite a big presence to him. He's very intimidating and it's quite scary. He uses loads of horrible tactics to come across as in intimidating to people. So I would not like to meet him. Not really. I don't think he would like me and I would not like him. But yeah, he's, he's an iconic character of the film. And when he, he punches up in the air at the end, a lot of people think that that is him being like, oh, I got with Claire. Whoa, win for me. You know, what else is he... Is that empowerment? Is it empowerment that he's able to to deal with things in a healthy way instead of punching a wall, he's punching the air? I don't, I don't really know. Is part of his rebellion him attending these detentions that he keeps being made to go to? 
I don't know, what is Bender's Rebellion? I think that that is, again, another question. So I'm going to leave that one there. So that is everything I'm going to talk about today. So that was The Breakfast Club. And again, I think that this film is kind of overrated. When I first watched it, I was like, what is all this fuss about? It's five kids in a room. I don't relate to a single one. (laughs) I'm confused. But then the more you watch it, the more you kind of see different things. And I think that this film is largely up into interpretation. So if you didn't like this film, then that makes sense. Maybe you didn't relate to any of the characters and none of the nuance really related to you. If that is how you kind of went about the film, then good for you. Join me next week when I pick something else to analyse probably another suggestion that I've had. And yeah, follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Movies On My Mind Pods. Check out my other episodes, um, go down my catalogue, I've got loads of stuff. I'm building that right now. The Film Bro series just finished, so you can listen to that if you want, that's quite funny. But... (laughs) No, it's not. It's tragic. But anyway, that was The Breakfast Club and I'll be back next week with another film. 